0: Hello and welcome to I Read a Book Once. My name is Emma and this is a podcast where I talk about books. Today I'm going to be talking about West with Giraffes by Linda Rutledge, which is a historical fiction novel lent to me by my aunt set during the Dust Bowl, the Great Depression, all of that in the 1930s. I'm trying to think what year it was exactly, 1938, and it is about the miracle hurricane giraffes that basically these two giraffes survived a hurricane, landed in New York City and then were driven across the entire United States to San Diego to become the first giraffes in the San Diego Zoo. Maybe in any zoo, I'm not really sure, but definitely the San Diego Zoo. So it's inspired by real-life events, a true story. These giraffes did exist, they were driven across the entire United States, and they did survive a hurricane, but most of the story inside is fictionalized. So I will be getting into all of that, But before we do, I need to pause and cover my screen, and I will explain why in a second. So you might be wondering, Emma, why are you covering your screen? That literally makes no sense. And you would be right, it doesn't make that much sense, but I unfortunately got a concussion, which is very sad, not fun, and because of that, to speed up my healing process, I am not looking at screens except from when I'm working for the most part, If you listened to my Kingdom of the Cursed episode, then you heard my little intro talking about why I was gone for a few weeks and kind of how I got the concussion. And so I have read one book since getting the concussion. It's been kind of hard to read since getting it. Um, So I'm making slow headway through Kingdom of the Feared, which was my much anticipated book for release of October, I guess. And so I'm making headway into it, but I... Can't read that much at a time, but I did finish in Read West with drafts and I really liked it. But anyways, normally when I record these, I have my recording like software that I use up and I look at it as it's recording to kind of see my voice levels, I guess. And I just stare at the screen as I talk into my microphone to cut down on the screen time. I've covered it with my sticker mosaic book, something that I've been doing to pass the time, you know. Super fun, super difficult, also. Much harder than I thought it would be. But anyways, that's besides the point. So yeah, that happened, very sad. So hopefully everything looks and sounds correctly because I cannot see my screen to verify any of that, which is kind of scary. Also, I cannot see the time. So don't know what that's gonna do to the plot summary discussion section, just the length of this episode in general. But hopefully, it's all good. You guys have to give me a pass because I'm concussed. And if anybody's curious, I'm fine. It's very minor concussion. I've just kind of had a constant headache for about two weeks. But I didn't pass out or um, have seizures. Apparently, that's a, that's something that can happen. And I don't have any neurological damage. So, you know, everything's okay. But my head just kind of hurts. So, with that, I think... Oh, There's one other intro thing to say. This book was lent to me by my aunt. If you remember last summer, summer 2021, she, me and my aunt did a little book exchange and she lent me um, The Other Westmore, Hillbilly Elegy, and then Girl Waits with Gun. And so those were the two memoirs and one of the historical fiction books that I read last year. Really, really liked The Other Westmore. That was my favorite of the three. And she has lent me some more books. And the first one I decided to pick up was West With Giraffe. She basically just lent me historical fiction. I'm excited to read them. And you'll kind of hear about them throughout the months. I'm kind of spreading them out. But anyways, other than that, I have to say, because of my concussion, there's no fun Halloween stuff this year, which is just very sad because it's been a staple of my podcast to have some Halloween specials. I did my Harley Merlin three-part Halloween series in my first year. The Finch Merlin three-part Halloween series, plus two other Halloween books, The X-Hex and um, Haunting of Hill House, or whatever the heck that horror novel that I didn't like was called. This year, I am reading a few Halloween-ish, like, spooky season reads, but there's absolutely no way you're going to hear them in October around Halloween, so I apologize for that, but... um, so let's just get into it then. So, before we do, one more thing. I know, I know. I said we were just going to get into it, but I have to issue a spoiler warning. If you don't want West with Giraffes to be spoiled, stop here, go read the book. I would totally recommend it. I really liked it a lot. It also was very modern. So, if you're someone who's hesitant normally about picking up historical fiction, this could be a good one for you to start with because the story definitely drew me in and while you know you're in the past, somehow you also feel like you're in the present, which could be due to how the book is framed, but whatever. So yeah, if you don't want spoiled, stop here, come back, read it, come back, listen to this episode. And with that, let's get into the plot summary. So like I said, this is about the hurricane giraffes and it is told by Woodrow Wilson Nickel or Woody Nickel, which is kind of ironic because like a wooden nickel is like fake and he starts off kind of, he calls himself a stray dog boy. So basically, Woody grew up in the Texas panhandle during the Dust Bowl. His mom, his baby sister, and his dad all die during the Dust Bowl. And he is an orphan. He makes his way to New York to, like, stay with a cousin. Then he's in New York when the great hurricane hits, which was a real hurricane. And in those hurricanes were these two drafts: a boy and a girl, who he calls wild boy and wild girl, or just boy and girl. So he sees the, he's like around where the boat docks. So he sees them dock and he follows them because his cousin dies in the hurricane. He's got nobody again, no money, nothing, has no idea what to do and is just intrigued by the giraffe. So he decides to follow them. And I think before I get any further, I should tell you kind of how the book is framed. So it is So basically, Woody is 105, and he's looking back and telling the stories of the giraffes right before he dies, and basically, before each sort of section, there's a section from the present, I guess, where he is kind of writing and also hallucinating, writing all this down, saying he has to write it for her. We don't know who her is. I thought maybe her was Girl the Giraffe or Red, who's a character in the book, but we find out who it is at the end. So anyway, so he's writing this all down. He's 105, a nickel, and he has, in this world, it's like 2025, and all giraffes have died. So basically, it's taking extinction to like another level that is not in our current world, but it's kind of for the message purposes of we should care about animals. But anyways... So that's like sort of the frame is that he's like telling writing all this this whole story down for somebody and after he dies like the very beginning the prologue is somebody cleaning out his room in the nursing home and finding all of this and reading the story and we are reading the story along with them. So now to the story and we'll get back to the end of Woody's life at the end. So anyways he follows them he breaks in he sees the giraffes and he's like starving so he steals some onions and an apple and puts them in his pockets but then He goes over by the giraffes and they sniff him and they find the food and he gives it to them. And he's like just entranced by these giraffes. He ends up like running out when he gets found um, the next morning after accidentally being trapped in there. And he finds out that they're being driven to San Diego. He meets Augusta Red, or her name is Augusta, but she's got like bright red hair. So he calls her Red. And she is a photographer for Life magazine. She's there with like the big time journalist as Woody calls him. The whole thing in this book is that Woody calls everybody by nicknames. And so I forgot everybody's names as I'm reading it, including his, because the old man that calls him boy. Anyways, okay. So, he, like, watches them, like, while the drafts are in quarantine, and then when they're done, he just, he steals the motorcycle, and he follows them, because he hears they're going to California, or California, as he calls it, and it's the promised land. He, like, wants to be there. So, he ends up following them, and then Red also is following them, and the, it turns out that the driver, that the old man who his name was Riley Jones, I believe, and he works... For the san diego zoo and he works for Belle benchley who was a real woman and she was the first female zoo director and he's like working for her getting these giraffes to the san diego zoo for her and he has a mangled hand so he can't drive so he's got this driver and they've got the giraffes in these two giant crates and once they put them in they're like they cannot come out because we don't know if we'll be able to get them back in so they make it to the first night and then the driver is a drunk and I don't know if this was during prohibition or not because I don't really remember when that began and ended but he was not paying attention and somebody tried to steal a giraffe so the old man yells at him the giraffes like kick him and then he runs away and Woody is, comes out of his hiding spot and he's like I can do it I can drive you I can go to California and the old man is like no but then the old man tries to drive and gets like like a mile maybe. And it's like, OK, you're taking me to D.C. And then I'm getting somebody from the D.C. zoo. So they start driving to D.C. and, you know, they're on their way. And there's this like zoo train that not a zoo, a circus, the traveling circus that's on the train tracks that's following them. And so the old man ends up being like, OK, fine, you can take us to Memphis because he doesn't want to be anywhere near the zoo. So he, the the circus So they make, they're on their way to Memphis, and they have to go through the mountains, and Red, they're, like, going around the side of this mountain, very narrow, very precarious, and Red literally hits them, and they almost fall off the side of the mountain. Not a good, not a good moment, and Woody's definitely crushing on Red, and he lets her, like, meet the giraffe stuff like that, and so then they, they survive, They survive, and they are going, they're going, they're going, and then they have to go through this tunnel in the mountains. But the thing is, the tunnel's only so tall, and giraffes are quite tall, so they have to deflate the tires as much as they can without them popping to get through, but one of them pops, and then the other one on the same side pops. So they're stuck, and then they end up being, like, in the middle of where there's this, like, big black family. They've got, like, seven sons, and then... All the sons are adults and they have children and they end up helping to rescue them and bringing them out. And there's also like this is during the 1930s. So so we're in this era of segregation, Jim Crow, all of that. And you just see the old man treating them like, I, you know, real people and red being maybe a little racist. And then they keep going. And instead of stopping at Memphis, the old man is like, you can keep driving us to wherever then oh he says okay wait this is what it was so they're still on their way to Memphis they had to stay the night and the old man is like if you uh, I'll buy you a train ticket in Memphis so they start going and then I don't know where they are maybe they do get past Memphis but the old man's like I'll buy you this train ticket and the zoo people yeah I think in Tennessee this is when this happens yeah okay so the old man is like okay I'll buy you a ticket But then they run into the circus train and the circus ringleader finds Woody and gives him this gold coin, like a $20 coin. I don't think those exist. Like this, you know, this gold coin and the train got, uh, the zoo got, the circus guy. Oh my God. The concussion is getting to me. No, really, I'm fine. But like the circus guys, like I want to see the giraffes. Basically, the old man hates the circus because they abuse their animals, you know. And so Woody is poor and he gives into his instincts. It's very sad. And he lets the circus guy see the giraffes and he kind of opens up the side and girl ends up getting out. And also something I failed to mention is that girl like in the hurricane, one of her legs got hurt. So they're, and the other reason they have to make good time is because giraffes are like notoriously like fragile basically and so they have to make it there in time that her leg doesn't get infected and like all this other stuff so girl gets out in the middle of the night the circus people are like trying to they've got like the rope around her neck and they're trying to fight her but they woody like takes the old man's shotgun and like scares them off and the old man's like i didn't want you to have to kill him and he's like if i wanted them dead i would have shot like i would have i wouldn't have missed basically blah 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 Woody feels really bad, and the circus guy's also, like, stuffing money, like, wads of money at Woody at some point that he has, and so they do end up getting girl in there, and they have to chase away the circus people, like, there's a car chase, and they end up making it, and Woody, like, hands over the money, and then he throws it out, the old man throws it out, and they keep going, and the old man decides that Woody can still drive them the rest of the way. I don't really remember why, but good time, making time, blah, blah, blah. So they keep going, and now they're going into um, Oklahoma. So two other things you need to know is that I told you Woody was crushing on Red. We find out that she has run away from her husband, who is this reporter, and we also find out that she is pregnant. And she's got, like, these big dreams, and we also find out that she doesn't actually work for Life magazine um, or Time magazine, whatever one it was. I think it was life and but she just like dreams that she will blah, blah, blah. So Woody is obviously feeling betrayed by her. So they make it into Texas, Oklahoma, and Woody realizes that they have to go right past like where he used to live. He has this big secret. He's very scared. He doesn't want to tell the truth. He doesn't want to drive through there, but he does. And the other thing is that he has these dreams of something bad happening, but he doesn't like, tell anybody about them, but he basically has these prophecy-like dreams. Anyways, so they're making it through, and they are almost, like, across the border into New Mexico, but they're stopped by this police officer that says, like, you can't go. There's a flash flood warning. This whole thing will be underwater. There's, like, it's not raining. He's, like, it's from 100 miles north, and he's, like, whatever. So they end up there. It's the Dust Bowl, so they end up finding, like, one tree over by this graveyard, which happens to be the graveyard where Woody's family's buried, And they, like, go over there. And then Woody's starting to tell the story to the old man. Like, the old man's putting the pieces together. Like, do you live here? Did you used to live here? Blah, blah, blah. And while they're doing that, the flash flood hits. And it's, like, basically, where they've parked the truck is, like, very precarious. So they're going to get swept away. The giraffes are going to die. And then Red swings her car in and, like, holds them up against, like, this building so that they don't fall over. So everybody survives. But Red's car is totaled. They find out that she's pregnant, like I said, and they're like, we'll take you to the next train station, and then you have to like get on the train and go back to your husband, basically, the old man says. And Red is like, no, but also yes. And then this is when Woody tells the old man his story. So his mom and his baby sister died, and his dad basically was like a mean old man, abusive, blah, blah, blah. And was like, hit hey, what the Woody's always liked animals, right? And so he had this mare, and the dad is like, you need to shoot your horse. Woody's like, I won't do it. And then the dad pulls out a second gun and, like, points it at him. Like, if you won't shoot the horse, I'll shoot you. So Woody does shoot the horse, but then he gets really, really mad. And then him and his father, like, take shots at each other, and they both clip each other. And then his dad kills himself. And then Woody has to run away, basically, after he buries everybody. And so he's, like, been nervous that the police are going to catch him this whole time, blah, blah, blah. So they make it into New Mexico they, well, basically, Red, like, disappears, and they're like, huh, that's odd, but we got to keep going, so they're in New Mexico, and they end up stopping somewhere, and they don't read the sign, but it turns out where they stopped was, like, basically a fake animal zoo where this man had a bunch of animals in cages, and then he pulls out a gun, and this is, like, the dream that Woody was kept having throughout the book, and he, like, is trying to steal the giraffes, and we find out that Red was, like, acts, she was, like, trying to say goodbye to the giraffes, but was in there when they drove away. So, she's been in the, like, cage with the giraffes this whole time. So, she's, like, don't shoot. And she comes out. And then they're saved by a boy who ends up kicking the guy when he comes to, like, try and get them out or whatever. And so, then they drive away really fast. and It was scary. So, they do end up dropping Red off in... Um, Santa Fe or Albuquerque or something like that. I don't remember Phoenix. They end up making it to Phoenix because she doesn't call her husband that first night. So, anyways, they drop her off. Woody's sad. They make it to San Diego. The giraffes are like they live and they're happy. And the old man is like, you like basically. Woody's like, I'll be back tomorrow. I need to like go and say goodbye to Red. Basically, make sure she got on, that her husband sent her the money. Blah blah. blah. So he. Misses the train. So he steals a motorcycle again and he rides and he misses the next one. And he's just about to make it to the one where Red is going to get on. And a police officer pulls him over and basically says, You can either go to jail or join the army. So Woody's forced to join the army. It's 1938. By the time his sentence is up, the bombing of Pearl Harbor happens. So he's forced to continue to be in the army. And then by the time he makes it home, he goes to find the big-time reporter, Red's husband, and it f- turns out that she had died the year before. I forgot to mention she had some sort of heart condition that we learned about in the middle of the book. But she had a daughter, and the dad was basi- The big-time reporter was basically like, leave. So he leaves because he, you know, has some honor. And so then he makes it back to San Diego, and it turns out the old man had died just a month before. But before he... he always talked about Woody. So basically, he was given like a lifetime supply of Woody wooden nickels, or zoo tokens to come in. So Woody spends the next few years of his life, he ends up like being a grave, like a cemetery security guard, and coming to the zoo during the day to see boy and girl who are named patches and something else. I don't remember. Anyways, Uh, But, you know, he wiles away the rest of his life. He never has any children. And it turns out that he wrote this story for Red's daughter. And that is the story. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And I am 20 minutes in. I just did a a little screen check. I feel like I talked for a while at the beginning. So I hope it's fine. I hope you didn't mind. But that is West with giraffes. So let me take a sip of my water. Okay. And now let's get into the discussion section let's first start with what I'm sure you're curious about. What was true and what was fictionalized? Because that's what I was curious about the entire time I was reading this book. But you know, that stuff's always at the back of the book, the historical note, you know, the or I think mine, was it historical? Yeah, there was also an author's note kind of about the story and whatever. But I was curious. So it turns out that this it's kind of like the truth was the framing device of the book and the story was fictional. So, like I said at the beginning, it was true that these giraffes did survive a hurricane and were driven across the United States to the San Diego Zoo and they were the first giraffes there. However, that's kind of the end-ish of where the truth is in this book. So, basically, the author, Linda Rutledge, at one point was in the San Diego Zoo archives and she found like basically all this information that this trip happened, but she went to see if the driver had kept any notes and there were none. So there's basically no record of what happened or transpired during this. There were a bunch of news articles that basically just said, and they're kind of like throughout this, that say like the giraffes are making their way, this. This is where the way they were going. Everybody was so excited to see them, things like that. But that's kind of the end of, like, the information she had to go off of. So years later, when she decided to write the story, she basically made up the people inside of it. So who was real? Belle Benchley, the female zoo director. She was a real person. Let's see what else she has here in the historical note. Then, like, a lot of the other things are just things that were mentioned or, like, At one point, they drive through a sundown town, which was basically a a place that had signs that said, like, if you're black in here after sundown, we'll kill you, which is horrible. But at one point, they drive through one, and there's this pecan man who is this black man who's selling pecans, and they basically are like, this town is sundown town, so they take him him with them to drive him to the next safe place. So, just saying, like, yeah, that was real, um talking about, like, the hurricane as real, but basically, so, like, no, none of the characters other than Belle Benchley are, like, real people from, like, how the story actually happened, but the historical notes just saying, like, the things that they talked about and, like, the research that she did kind of showed you what life was really like during that time. So, while I was kind of sad that Woody wasn't real and the old man wasn't real and stuff like that, I was like, that's okay because this was a really fun story and for all we know this could have happened. Now did it? No but maybe. You never know. Parts of it might have been true but there was no record. How are we to know? So kind of going into that I want to talk a little bit about the world of the 1930s. So historical fiction is a very interesting genre for me personally as a reader and that when I read historical fiction I either love it or I don't care for it. Sometimes it's, like, fine. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, that was fine. But most of the time I'm either, like, loving it or very much not into it and bored. For example, the Lincoln Highway that I read um, last year, which was set in the 1950s by Moore Towels, loved it. I, It was amazing. It was almost a 600-page book. It's also, surprisingly, one of my most listened to episodes. I mean, I guess he's a famous author, but... Uh, It's just funny when I look at those numbers and see how high that is compared to some of the other ones. But anyways, I love that book. I thought it was great. The Magnolia Palace that I read in January was so boring. One of my least favorites of the year. Also, interestingly, here in mid-October, there's really only two books that stick out to me as being, like, the worst ones I've read this year. And they were both bad because they were boring not bad in the way that some of the books I've read in previous years have been bad. So that's something for us to explore during the final sort of like 2022 wrap-up episode that'll be coming in a few months. Can you believe it? It's almost the end of 2020. This year went by very fast for me personally. Um, so I can't believe it, but I'm also ready for the Christmas season. I'm ready for Halloween to be over so I could listen to Christmas music and watch Christmas movies even before Thanksgiving. Yeah, that that's just me. But anyways, so historical fiction historically has been hit or miss with me, and this was a big hit. I really liked it a lot, and it's interesting also because I think it's set during an interesting time period. Because it's not about World War II, except the specter of World War II is leaning, looming over this novel, and that uh, the old man like will pick up newspapers at the different places where they stop, and Woody will tell you kind of like what the headlines are. So there's a lot of headlines about Hitler taking over Austria. Uh, the I don't remember what it was called, but when he was like, if you just give me this part of Czechoslovakia then like I won't like go to war and Europe was like yeah okay you guys know what I'm talking about I don't remember the name of that agreement but you know was it the M- Munich is that in here I don't think it's in here. anyways I don't remember what it was called but like all of that different stuff and so it's very interesting because you're aware of kind of like what's going on out in the greater world but it's not the story almost like um The lighthearted, like, thing that's going on at home when everything else kind of sucks. Because, and that's kind of, like, how the back of the book talks about it. Because, like, it's 1938. We're many, many years into the Great Depression. It feels like there's not an end in sight. The Dust Bowl has been raging and killing people and crops and all this different stuff. Like, Woody is a testament of that. And now we've got Hitler over in Germany and we're just trying to make it by but war is coming and as somebody in the present I know for a fact that war is coming in a way that the people in the book don't and so these giraffes are like this spot of joy in a world that sucks but it's also almost like a like I don't this is maybe not the right metaphor but it's almost like a side quest story and that like you have the main story of history like going on Depression, Dust Bowl, World War II coming up, all this different stuff. But then we've got the little side quest of driving the giraffes across America that is happy and is giving people joy and we're just, like, having a great time. So it's kind of interesting. But what I was going to say is that while I feel like the author does a good job of making me believe that, like, all of the stuff in the past is taking place during the 1930s, it also felt very modern to me. Now, there were definitely, like... A story like this isn't... This this would not happen today because, I don't know, we're, like, better about transferring animals around. I don't know how we do it, but I guess we have the Panama Canal now, so they could have just, like, sailed the giraffes through that and then to the other coast, to California. But, like, how do we get animals to, like, the middle of the country? And, like, do we ever fly... I feel like you couldn't fly a giraffe. It would have to still be on, like, a boat or a truck. I don't know. But we're somehow better at it now. I don't know. But, like, I also feel like if giraffes were being driven across the country or even just across a couple states, it would be a, a secret. It would be, like, a state secret. And they wouldn't want anybody to know because now people would be much better at stealing the giraffes than they were back in 1938. I mean, I do wonder if you stole a giraffe today. I don't think you could get away with it because they're so large and there's so few of them. But, like, I don't know. But basically, what I'm trying to say is this read, this was, like, not a book that was, like, immersed in the language of the 1930s. Like, it's not like you were reading a book that was written in 1930. It felt very modern. I think this was just only written or published in 2021. Yeah. So within the last year or so. And it just felt modern. So like I was saying at the top of the episode, if you're somebody who doesn't typically like historical fiction because of that, I think this might be a good one for you because it felt to me very modern despite being in 1930s. I also think this is just an interesting time period because I feel like so much historical fiction falls into two categories. Category number one is World War Two, And this is like pre-World War Two, but it's and like like I said, the specter's looming, but it's not really about World War II, so that's nice. And then I feel like the other big thing is, like, if you read romance, it's all set in mostly the Regency era, which is, like, fine. Like, I like a historical romance sometimes. I think I've talked about kind of, like, my journey with all of that on previous episodes. Um, if not, let me know, and I'm happy to talk about it more on some other future episode. But it's always nice to visit a different time whether that be the 30s, the 50s, the 1770s, I don't know. But that's all I have to say about that. I have a few other things I want to talk about. Let's talk about the quiet tragedy of the ending of this book. So I kind of glossed over the ending in the the plot summary, I feel like, but it's just quietly tragic. Like you have this huge big adventure and then at the end, Woody makes this split-second decision that he's going to steal the motorcycle to drive off after Red. And typically in fiction, it would be like, and he saw her at the train station, and she told him to go back because he was going to live his life. But they had a great adventure together, and she was fine, and that was that. But no, here, she, he gets, like, pulled over, basically arrested, and conscripted into the army. I mean... It's kind of wild. It's kind of wild. And then because of the time period, he like doesn't make it home for years. And by the time he does, everybody's dead. There's no reunion with Red, which I didn't really think there would be. But there's no reunion with the old man either. It's just sad. He did this whole life changing journey. And then the, the old man never knew what happened to him with red i feel like she didn't expect to see him again or hear from him again or kind of know what had happened but the old man he said he was coming back and he just never came and then woody then tells kind of like the end part of his story that he watches over graves which is kind of depressing and he spends his life like you know hanging out with the drafts which is fine oh I, i the other draft was named lofty i just opened the book and saw that But then he talks about, like, throughout... He lives to be 105, and so he gets married, I think, three times, all to women with red hair. So, like, was he hung up on Red his whole life? Maybe so. He didn't have any children, which is, like, not the end of the world. He had, like, an adult stepdaughter at some point. But, like, all of them died before him. He lives to be 105. Everybody he knows is dead. And then his heart is giving out, and he writes down this whole story to give to Red's daughter. And then the book ends, and I cried. I'm sorry, y'all, but I cried. It was sad. I didn't cry, like, at the very, like, on the, like, the last page or anything, but, like, as I was reading kind of the ending, I, w- I shed some tears because I felt the emotion. And so I feel like it's just so sad, like, that quiet, like, I feel, I really feel like quiet tragedy is a very good way to explain kind of how this book ended. It was a quiet tragedy because while he ends up all right, like, I I just feel like there's no closure, you know, for anybody, including myself. (sighs) Okay, let's not dwell. Let's not dwell. We have two more things to talk about and not a lot of time. I just checked and I was at like 31 minutes. So (sighs) anyways, one thing very quickly, this idea of dreams as prophecy I think very, it's something that is fascinating to me. I know some people, like, don't like dreams. They don't like when dreams are part of books. But I'm a vivid dreamer, everybody. I have crazy dreams all the time. And I remember them. And in college and in high school, too, I was, like, pretty notorious for, like, in college waking up and we'd be in the dining hall eating breakfast and being like, who wants to hear about my crazy dream from last night? And I would tell my friends my dreams in high school as well, but it wasn't at breakfast because, you know, we did not all live together. But anyway, so I'm a dreamer in the sense that, like, I have dreams when I sleep and they're interesting and crazy and whatever. And they aren't typically, like, I don't think I've ever had a dream that predicted something in the future. I did have a horrible dream a few weeks ago. I I think it was actually just a few nights ago that my parents just, like, sold their house and moved away. And I was like, how could you do this without even telling me? But they did not. They did not sell our house or move away. They're staying there. But I was then talked to them the next day and I was like, I wasn't irrationally angry at them. But like prior to talking to them, I was like, oh, I'm so mad at mom and dad because they sold our house. And I was like, no, Emma, that's just a dream. But anyways, I've always been fascinated by this idea of dreams as prophecy. The idea that they can be telling us something. I really do think dreams can tell us things. I don't think they always mean something. But I think sometimes they can. And so I just thought it was very interesting that Woody's dreams were truly prophecies. And he talks about how after this he only had one more. And then he never had like a dream. Like a night with dreams. Anyways, whatever. And finally, I was going to talk a little bit about the characters. But we're kind of running low on time since I talked a lot at the beginning And, you know, the plot summary always runs long because I can't help myself. Like I said, like I've said in the past, I mean, I used to spend 30 minutes telling my dad, like, 100 pages of a story, and I now spend 15 to 20 minutes telling all of you 300 to 400 pages of a story, so I'm clearly improved, but I mean... I don't know. I do this for myself. I don't really think I have any fans or interested um, parties. If you are, let me know. I appreciate you. But um, so sometimes I just have to uh, talk out the whole plot summary, even if I think it's probably not great for my audience retention rate. I don't know. Let me know what you think of that. But anyways... So I was going to talk about the characters Woody read, Old Man, Boy, and Girl. I feel like um, the author did a really good job of giving Boy and Girl, the two giraffes, like a personality, basically. Like they felt like true characters, even though they can't talk. They were really involved. They were curious. They were scared. They were angry. They were all these different things. And I just really enjoyed them a lot. And I just think it was the, the I, I guess the message of the book really is like, first of all, care about animals, care about the planet but also that animals have souls and they feel and you can have real true connection with animals. And I think that's a very nice message and point in all of that as well. I feel like let's just end on that note. Let's just end on it. I was going to talk a little bit about Woody and kind of his character growth of like, you know, not being like a a thief and all of that. And it's almost like I think why the end is quietly tragic is because he's really grown as a person and that he's, Opening up and telling the truth and being, like, on the straight and narrow. And then he steals that freaking motorcycle. And then he ends up conscripted into the army. And it's a quiet tragedy. But, you know, overall, he really did grow as a person. So that's good. But let's leave on the note that animals are um, important. And you can have a real true connection with them. And with that, let's launch ourselves into the end. So, please... Rate, review, and sus- subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to. If you can do any of those things, if you can rate and review, that will help other people find my podcast. I'd really much appreciate it. I'll shout you out if you give me a review on Apple Podcasts because that's what I check, and I would love you forever. Also, follow me on Instagram at IReadABookOnce blog. Um, I don't, I haven't been posting because of my concussion. I don't like Instagram, but that's really the only place where you do see sort of news and what's going on. So that's, you know, it's a good place to be. You could also DM me while you're there, your thoughts, feelings, opinions, questions, concerns about this book, this episode, or this podcast. If you also don't like, I like Instagram. I just don't like to take pictures and then write posts for Instagram. But if you don't like Instagram or you don't use it, you could also email me at I read a book once blog at gmail.com, and we can converse that way instead. So, I know you're curious, what is next week's episode going to be? It is going to be Kingdom of the Feared by Carrie Maniscalco, the third and final installment in the Kingdom of the Wicked series. I don't know what, this, what the series title is called. I'm enjoying it. I'm about 90-ish pages in. It's slow going because of the concussion, but, you know, I'm on the mend. So hopefully I'll be able to finish it in this upcoming week. And I'm excited to finish it and tell all of you all my thoughts and feelings on it. So with that, my name is Emma. This was I Read a Book Once, and I'll catch you guys next time.